The college football playoff board is considering getting rid of the NCAA. Could that happen? And how quickly could it if we wanted it to? Also, a look at the most over- and underachieving schools in the Big Ten this coming fall. Who could live up to the bill? Who could fall short? You are Locked On Big Ten, your daily podcast on the Big Ten Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Locked On Big Ten, everything you need to know about the conference every day of the week. I'm your host, Nate Dickinson, and thank you as always for making Locked On Big Ten your first listen of the week every single weekday, Monday through Friday. Coming up on today's show, the NCAA and the College Football Playoff Board could be splitting up, at least that's something the board has started discussing. How long could such a discussion and decision take, and what could college sports look like post-NCAA? We'll talk big, big picture about that, but also... Jacob Rood's in from Locked On Hoosiers to break down overachievers and underachievers as we get into the 2022 season. Who could live up to the bill and who could fall short of expectations? We'll get picks for both from myself and Jacob as well here on the program. Before we get into any of that, though, a look around the biggest news from around the Big Ten. Not a whole lot to get to here in conference news. Again, we're going to talk to Jacob about what the big, big picture stuff could be with the NCAA. But only other real news to get to here is out of Columbus and Ohio State. It looks like sophomore running back, that's Evan Pryor, could be out for the entire season, according to reports out of Columbus. As a true freshman, he ran for 98 yards on 21 carries, just one touchdown, he was slated to be, at the very least, the number two backup behind Travion Henderson this upcoming fall. Ohio State will have a hard time replacing him, of course, but as we know, there's plenty of talent out there to be had in Columbus as well. Nothing new on the recruiting trail as far as commitments go to Big Ten schools, so a short look at the news from around the Big Ten, but that's okay because we've got a lot to get into with Jacob. First, the big picture stuff. We'll talk about what it could mean if college football separates from the NCAA at some point. And also a look at over and underachievers. Who does he think will overachieve and then also not live up to the expectations we're seeing here in the preseason. That's all coming up right here on Locked On Big Ten. But first, before any of that with Jacob, it can happen so easily. You're out with friends or co-workers, you're putting back a few drinks. A few drinks turns into a few too many. It's time to go and for a moment you think about calling for a ride. But no, you're a good driver, you live nearby, you can make it home okay. What are the odds you get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? You lose your license? You lose your job? Even worse, you hurt somebody. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Play it safe and plan to get a ride. Drive sober or get pulled over. You're tuned in to Locked On Big Ten. Everything you need to know about the conference every day of the week. Alongside Jacob Rude, the host of Locked On Hoosiers, I'm Nate Dickinson. And on today's show, we're going to get into some of the potential over and underachievers in the Big Ten. I asked David, and I have myself, a team that I think is going to exceed expectations by a lot. 
and a team that's going to fall a bit short. But before we get to any of that, some of the biggest news that came out of college sports over the last day, Jacob, was the announcement that the college football playoff board came together to discuss potentially the idea of what happens after the NCAA. Now, it was made clear in reporting that these were things that were just talked about for a couple of minutes as something that might happen way, way down the line. But with the way that college sports is changing right now, it begs to kind of get the conversation going here. What does college sports without the NCAA look like? And how close could we be to that reality? Yeah, I mean, to me, there's a a little bit of a sense of inevitability to this. Like, I I just kind of always felt that there was a pretty decent chance that eventually the the end goal was to kind of move away from the NCAA because that's just another person pocketing money that the college football playoff committee, for example, feels that they could do themselves. So, I mean, that's what it always comes down to at the end of the day is money. But that's just to me what I kind of felt would eventually be an end goal. I, I didn't really have a, a, a timeline of mine necessarily. And it doesn't sound like in today's reports, there is any kind of timeline. It was just a couple minutes um, they spent on it, but I'm not surprised. I, I, if anything, maybe surprised that the conversations hadn't happened in some fashion before, because um, I mean, they have a pretty good argument that they could, they could be the ones that kind of run college football with the power they have just with the college football playoff. And uh, it'd be a big undertaking, but I mean, we spent so much of this summer talking about what is in store for the future of college football with feels like kind of two mega conferences with the big 10 and the sec. And if we get to that point with kind of these mega conferences there, I, I would be stunned if they didn't kind of circumvent uh, the NCAA in some fashion. So yeah, I wasn't necessarily surprised by that these uh, kind of discussions had had taken place today. There's just a clear advantage to getting rid of it now. If the schools are going to take the kind of power that they've taken over the last couple of years, and if NIL is going to mean whatever NIL is going to mean over these next few years, the conversation has to at least be started, and we've seen it started now at the people who actually hold this power. The conversation has to be started as to what role does the NCAA actually serve anymore? Because beforehand, of course, you have the governing body that rules all the schools and keeps things kind of in check. But now you see that schools are perfectly fine taking that power for themselves. And if you get rid of the NCAA, the people who are in power already are able to just flex that power even more. You you get the kind of rule changes and things like that that you don't wouldn't have to go through the NCAA for. Of course, the smallest schools would take the biggest hit because that's a lot of what the NCAA protects kind of on this level. If you're going to make a change, it has to be a change that can be made and can help every single NCAA member institution. So when you have those kind of things thrown into the mix, you get kind of a picture of, okay, why do do the big schools want to do this? But at the same time, I start to understand, okay, this is why it won't happen maybe quite as quickly as we would expect. Because, you know, you have the realignment, you have the schools going to new conferences, and you're thinking, okay, 
this is something that's going to happen snap, snap, snap right away, no matter what. But when you look at what the NCAA has been and what this kind of organization has stood for, it's always been trying to protect, I guess, the fairness of the athletic competition, if you want to argue that far. But if you're going with that route, there are plenty of smaller players here that would stop things from accelerating as fast as maybe they could. So when I look at it, I think, okay, yes, obviously the big and the powerful schools want to get this going as quickly as possible. But when I think about what could stop this from happening, it's similar to the conversation we have about adding schools to the Big Ten. Yes, that AAU certification and requirement probably isn't something that's all that important anymore. But it's not about as much what I think is trying to keep to trying to get people into Big Ten in that regard or trying to change the NCAA in this. It's more about like what's trying to stop it, what's trying to stop that change from happening. And when I think about the people in power in the Big Ten, they want to keep that AAU certification requirement there. And when I think about the people who are in power in the NCAA, the NCAA wants to obviously keep its power. So it's going to try as hard as it can. But as far as things are headed right now, you're right. Inevitability seems right now like something that is, uh, I guess, again, obvious. But at least for how long it's going to take, I would expect there to be at least a little bit longer of a drag on this than maybe most people expect, given what's been happening so quickly. And you got to really have your ducks in a row if you're if you're pulling out from the NCAA. And I, I think even as inevitable as it might feel, to your point, that doesn't mean it's going to be quick. Um, and so I still think there would be a long time before that. But I think in some senses – kind of the creation of this college football playoff committee could be, I mean, if they, if all these uh, schools kind of secede from the NCAA, that's going to be their downfall. Is it? I mean, it seems to kind of correlate with the, the time when kind of schools realized how much power they really have uh, was around the time this college football playoff committee was started. And it seems like those two are linked in some way. So um the NCAA is kind of operating as this middleman right now that the schools maybe are, are realizing or believing that they don't need anymore. And so at least the big schools, I should say this, uh, as you were saying, this is most of this applies to the big schools. I mean, you feel bad for the not power five conferences basically who need the NCAA to kind of survive. And I don't know what their fate would be in all this, but, I mean, when it comes to the, the power five and the presidents and the ADs and the people of power with that, I mean, they're the ones who, who have kind of realized in, in recent years, just the power that they kind of wield and what they can accomplish if um, they all kind of put their minds together and put their power together. And maybe that, maybe they would have realized that without the college football playoff committee. But to me, it feels like that could ultimately be the downfall of the NCAA is that you put all these kind of people together and made them realize collectively how much power they have and what they could do with that power and what they could do could potentially be moving on from the NCAA, seceding from the NCAA. So it's going to be fascinating to watch. I, if you're the NCAA, I don't know how you <laughs> convince them otherwise right now without just giving into a bunch of their demands that, um, to keep them around it's going to be interesting to see 
if what or if there's a response from the NCAA on this? Well, I think if you're the NCAA, you have to, at this point, become kind of a servant to whatever the schools yeah. want. At least that's yeah. what I would be doing. I'd be going to these schools and saying, okay, this is obviously changing. The landscape is going to shift here. We just want to still be at the table. So whatever it is, whatever governance you feel like you think you need, hey, we've got the experience. Let us know how you want this to be done, and then we'll let it work that way. Unfortunately, I don't see there being any way that that's actually how the NCAA decides to go about things. I, I see them trying to hold on to power as desperately as possible over these next few years. And I think it's much more likely we see a, an entire separation from the NCAA than we would ever see the NCAA actually starting to embrace the idea that this is something where it's going to actually lose all of its power. But I feel like maybe the only thing that could wake up that organization is the fact that it's happening right in front of their eyes. They should know that this is power going away from them. And while the NCAA tournament's all nice, there's always been there's already been talks about breaking that off of NCAA affiliation too, if this ends up happening. So it's a long way down the road. But I think it's important to have the conversation now. And also, I don't think it could be quite as far down the road as what a lot of people are speculating, too. I mean, we're talking about the college football playoff contract runs until 2025. There was already talks about what the new structure could look like in changing that even before that expiration. So it's a lot of changing parts. And it's a lot of changing parts that instinctually have me thinking, okay, this is something that takes a long time to get done. But also we've seen things get done a lot more quickly than we're used to in this last summer too. So it's going to be a really, really weird kind of dynamic here trying to get a balance of, okay, what is happening with college sports and how quickly exactly is it all going to happen? Because I've got a feeling over the next couple of years, we're going to get some changes that are beyond just a conference realignment. And uh, again, we'll see what ends up actually happening with all of college sports, because whatever happens with the college football, everyone else is obviously going to have to follow suit. All right, Jacob, uh, thanks as always for coming on the show. We're not quite done with you yet. We're going to break down a look at Big Ten teams this season and get some takes here from Jacob and myself. Who's going to be the biggest overachiever of this season and underachiever given the projections we have going into this year. Who lives up to the expectations? We'll talk about that right here on Locked On Big Ten. We'll wrap things up with Jacob in just a second here on Locked On Big Ten. Before that, though, a reminder, Bet Online is the place to go for any of your online sports gambling needs. If you want to know the latest on the line, how things have moved over the course of a week, or you want to get into the game, maybe not an expert and want to know a little bit more, Bet Online can help you out with any of it and more. If you just head on over to the site, betonline.net, and get started. It's a one-stop shop for everything that you could need with sports gambling at Bet Online, where the game starts. Back in on Locked On Big Ten alongside Jacob Rood, I'm Nate Dickinson. We're getting into the expectations for Big Ten football teams, but Who's going to meet him? Who's going to fall short? I wanted to get into Jacob's brain and ask him those questions. So we'll get into each of our biggest overachievers and underachievers 
for the upcoming Big Ten football season, at least in our heads. Uh, Jacob, let's start with the overachievers here. What's your one team, as you look at it right now, that you're looking at things going into the preseason thinking, man, I I think this team's going to be able to do more? So... My first thought was to to look in the Big Ten West because, I mean, you need just a couple, one or two wins to go your way in a fairly soft division, and suddenly you're Northwestern playing for a, a conference title or something along those lines. But ultimately, the team I settled on was Maryland, who um, there's been a good amount of talk about them. Uh, at Big Ten Media Day when I was there, there was a lot of discussion about Maryland, uh, Tui Asasopo, and, and what – Eric Tagaviola, sorry, I was watching the Monte Teo uh, documentary. Uh, Tagaviola and what he, uh, how good he is, how good he's been or was last season, and whether he can take that uh, step. And um, if he can, and he has uh, the receivers around him to to take that step, and if he can, then maybe Maryland picks off uh, one of the the big boys ahead of them in the division and suddenly they're looking at a, a, a 10 and two, nine and three, some type of season like that, where uh, I think that would be overachieving for them. And uh, I, I could see a pretty, maybe not easy path, but maybe believable path that, that they could get there. Mm-hmm. Maryland's a good pick. A, a lot of reports coming out that Tungavaloa looks like a quarterback who has at least a little bit figured it out too, right? Yeah. Like he's, Again, we've touched on it plenty in these preseason camps. Everyone's only talking about how good everybody looks, but there has been a certain extra amount, I guess, at least to the extent that I've noticed it, that I've seen reporters and people who are there at the practices saying, oh, this guy's taken that step up. The decision making just seems to be a little bit better with Tonga Vailoa. And I agree, if he can make that next big jump, Maryland has the biggest range of any Big Ten team out there as far as possible outcomes here. Maryland could easily be a 3-4 win team. Maryland could very easily, if Tungavello is that that good, be a 9-10 win team, like you mentioned, too. I, I don't think either of those are ridiculous to throw out there. As far as to my over, point, go ahead. Well, I was going to say to that point real quick, I originally considered them for my biggest underachievers and because I it, there's just a – a lot of uncertainty, but when, with Tagovailoa, I mean, we talked about last year kind of being um, maybe the exception so far in his career, but maybe it's just the year that that things clicked for him, and and that happens with quarterbacks, and uh, he could have could be heading into this fall camp and uh, with kind of a, a clear sense of, of how to play the position, and if that's the case, then it could be a big season. We'll see what happens. He's not on the easy side of the Big Ten either, no. so it won't be that easy for him to get that done. Uh, my team for overachieving is in that Big Ten West. I'm going with Purdue and the Boilermakers. Uh, now, Purdue has some expectation behind it going into this season. So when we're talking about overachieving, we're talking about overachieving for a team that is receiving preseason top 25 votes, right? So it can't be that much of a big overachieving situation, but as far as like what Purdue is as a team, when I look at their position in both coaches and media polls, they're behind Wisconsin, they're behind Iowa, they're behind Minnesota in both those polls, which puts you at middle of the pack in the Big Ten West, which is, again, a wide open division. 
but because it's so wide open and because I see Purdue pretty clearly behind each of those three teams going into this season, I mean, I'll, I don't know if it's a prediction per se, but I'll say there's no way Purdue finishes behind all three of those teams in the Big Ten West standings. Purdue's a better team than that. Purdue's good enough to be right in the mix. And again, maybe they finish four out of four at the end of the year between all of them. But if I had to put my money somewhere, I'd be willing to bet that Purdue is that team that is that surprising team this season in the Big Ten West. Iowa and Wisconsin are always going to be there. We know that they'll have a presence. Is Minnesota going to be good enough? We don't know. Is Nebraska going to be good enough? We don't know. Is Purdue going to be good enough? We don't know. But if you're asking me what my team is to try and make that jump and compete with those other teams, I think Minnesota and Nebraska could easily do it too. But if I'm picking one squad, I think Aiden O'Connell, that Purdue offense, going in and with the experience it has with kind of just consistency maybe you can try and build over time out of all those teams that could go out there and excel in the west i'm picking the purdue boilermakers just because i think they've got that little bit more of an edge that other teams like a minnesota or nebraska maybe don't quite have going into this season purdue's my team to kind of pick to overachieve based on where they are again right now clearly behind all of those teams i think they need to be at least right there with them yeah, like I said at the beginning of mine, uh, my first thought was to look at the Big Ten West. And like I said, it just takes a, a couple results in your favor. I, th- I don't think there's a lot separating most probably those top four teams that you mentioned. And so I I, don't, I mean, it's certainly not unreasonable to think that Purdue pulls off a maybe an unexpected uh, upset or two. And, and suddenly they're right there in the mix of things. So, uh, yeah, certainly I, I could see that being the case. There was a time. Early on when Jeff Brom and Tom Allen kind of took their uh, respective jobs that uh, IU was struggling and Purdue was doing really well. And IU fans were were worried about what what was in store for the future, because Jeff Brom at times has looked really, really good. There's been times where the they've kind of looked just as bad on the opposite side of the spectrum. But uh, when things have gone well for Purdue, I mean, they've looked really, really good. And so. Certainly, I I could see that being an argument is them finishing near the top of the West this year. Well, we've gone through the overachievers. As we start to talk about underachievers, I'm going over to the east side of this conference, Jacob. And it's maybe not the most popular picks, but I'm thinking Penn State Nittany Lions. Again, based off what the expectation is going into the season. Penn State just outside of the top 25 polls in both AP and coaches voting. But when you look at this team, I know for a fact it's what like the host of our Locked On Golden Gopher show, Kane Robb, is talking about. Purdue fans will be talking about it too, I'm sure. Iowa fans. When you're thinking about like top 25 squads, Penn State was 7-6 and six last season. Other Big Ten teams do not think they deserve that kind of respect. And while I'm perfectly fine giving the Nittany Lions the respect because it's a good recruiting team, it is Penn State. James Franklin, I think, has proven himself enough to show that he is a good coach who can get a team back on track. When I look at the manpower out on the field, I just don't see anything all that different. Yes, you get better recruits in there, but it's still Sean Clifford. And Sean Clifford, year after year, while he's been whatever you want to think of him, 
he really has been every single year just that. He has never taken the huge step up. He's never taken a huge step back. But, uh, I mean, completion percentage has been pretty much the same. Quarterback rating has been pretty much the same since he took over. He's out his number one wide receiver in Jahan Dotson. He's out one of his top running backs in Noah Kane. When you look at what that offense is, and Penn State's losing pieces on defense too, I just look at what Penn State has, and I think, okay, if I'm looking for a team that in the Big Ten is maybe getting a little bit of name recognition here, is maybe getting a little bit of respect for the program instead of the roster, again, Sean Clifford could come out and impress. I, I believe he has just as much an ability to do that as a Peyton Thorne, as a Tanner Morgan, as any of these quarterbacks who have been around in the Big Ten and have shown that while they may not be the playmakers, they're at least play callers and game managers. He can do that. But as far as like what Penn State is around him, I'm waiting to see, okay, prove it to me at the very least. Because again, I'll give Penn State the respect of what it does off the field and in the offseason to get ready. But at least as far as what this team can do this season, I'm looking at a seven and six year last year, and I'm looking at an offense and roster overall that is largely not that different or improved if you ask me compared to what I'm seeing in a lot of other big 10 programs. Yeah. Great minds think alike. Cause I uh, Penn States where I ended up falling on with this as well. There was a number of teams I, I wrote down. I, I mentioned Maryland was kind of my first thought. Yeah. Um, I thought, I thought about Michigan maybe after so they lost so much defensively, uh, but Penn States where I landed Sean Clifford is such a, a interesting quarterback to try to get a read on basically because at times he's looked really, really good at times he's really struggled and consistency just hasn't really been there from uh, game to game at, at really any point in his career. And for somebody that's played as many games as he has, you would kind of hope to have a, maybe a more sure thing, um, in in the backfield that you can rely upon and that's where a lot of this starts with me is just not really being certain game in and game out what you have with Sean Clifford a, a lot of times and then um they lost receivers that that were strong and as you said this was just a lot of the same team that played last season and I mean they're 11-11 in the last two seasons so I mean it, it doesn't scream top 25 to me uh so to see them kind of on the fringes of of being a top 25 team and to be someone kind of just penciled in i think a lot of times in that east division is here's your big four and then everybody else um i think there's a a pretty decent chance that that they could struggle again and maybe it's a maryland that that kind of takes their spot in that top four but yeah penn state's where i landed I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as you where I think they kind of need to prove some things and, and prove they belong back in that top four this season after really back to back years where they looked shaky a lot of times, especially especially down the stretch of both seasons. I just don't understand why a guy like Sean Clifford isn't getting the Tanner Morgan treatment at, Mich uh, at Minnesota where. It's not disrespect for Tanner Morgan, but I feel like everyone kind of around the Big Ten is accepting like, okay, Tanner Morgan is Tanner Morgan. Like he's going to make some throws. He's going to put the ball in a place where a good receiver can make a catch. 
but he's not going to win or lose you a game, right? Over the course of the last five seasons of watching Tanner Morgan play football at Minnesota, we've learned that. And I just don't understand why it is that Sean Clifford isn't getting that same kind of treatment. And instead, we look at him and think, oh, well, Penn State could be great if and when Sean Clifford just takes that next step. It could be there. But I feel like with a guy like Tanner Morgan at Minnesota, we've kind of accepted that he is who he is. And there's still this some sort of holding out for Sean Clifford to take a next big step that at this point, I'm not ready to be confident is even there. He's played he's played so many games at Penn State already that and I I'm with you. I, I don't understand why there's maybe this expectation uh that he will take a leap forward. He's played if my quick math is right here, I think 38 games um at Penn State. So I mean like this is who he is. Um he's not been consistent and barring some kind of big change in his final year there, I don't know that he will be consistent. Uh so you're looking at somebody that, yeah, at times if he when he puts it together, he looks great and is able to win you potentially a big game, but then at the same time, there's times where he struggles and, and is able to lose you a big game too. So um again, that's kind of where it all started when I was looking. If you're going to underachieve, it's probably because of uh, a lot of times I should say it's because of poor quarterback play. And if there's someone kind of among those top teams that maybe I trust the least, it would probably be Sean Clifford. Well, we'll figure out soon enough who can and cannot be trusted in the Big Ten as the season is just around the corner. Jacob Rood will have everything you need to know from the Indiana Hoosiers side of things leading up to the season, of course, at Locked On Hoosiers. It's every single weekday here on the Locked On Podcast Network, just like Locked On Big Ten. Jacob, we thank you as always for joining us here on the program to break down some of the latest from the conference. We'll talk to you again soon. When we do, it'll be game week. No, it'll be week zero, I guess. So not quite game week yet for you guys, but it'll be game week for us here at Locked On Big Ten. So we'll be looking forward to it. It's getting close. I'm getting excited. (laughs) Thank you again for tuning into the show. Thanks again to Jacob Rude for joining us on the program. Follow him at Jacob Rude. Of course, follow Locked on Hoosiers too. If you're an Indiana fan, everything you need to know about what's going on with Indiana football and basketball too. I know Indiana people care about that as well during this time of year. It's over on Locked on Hoosiers. As always, be sure to follow the show here as well. Locked on Big Ten, wherever you get your podcasts on YouTube and on Twitter, is Locked on Big One Zero, not T E N spelled out. It's one zero, the number, wherever you are looking. And again, my name, Nate Dickinson at Nate with Sports on Twitter. We'll be back tomorrow with more on everything that happens until then around the Big Ten. I'm Nate Dickinson with Locked on Big Ten.